0: Great. Well, I think we'll make a start, and if other people kind of trickle in, they can. Um, My name's John Hindley. This is a... Oh, here they come. Um, Hi, guys. Come on in. No, you're fine. No worries. (laughs) So, um, yeah, my name's John Hindley. This is a breakout session on keeping going. Um, So if this isn't where you want it to be, then... Can head somewhere else, more interesting. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray for us as we start, so let's pray. Gracious Father, you are so good in not only saving us, but sustaining us and filling us with your Spirit so that we can know you, so that we can grow up into the likeness of your Son. Uh, you give us ministry and work for our hands, you, you draw us into relationship with your people and you even give us the Great Commission to take the Gospel of your Son to all nations. Mm-hmm. Father, we pray this afternoon that we would enjoy the, the persevering, sustaining blessing of your Spirit. That as we think about how we keep going um, as church planters, Uh, in ministry, in life, um, and as followers, disciples of your Son. We ask that you would would work that very thing in us, that when Christ returns, we would be found faithful, full of joy in him, um, delighted to welcome him as he comes. Amen. So the title of the seminar was Keeping Going, and I was given um, a kind of completely wide brief on that. Um, so I'd kind of like to just start with getting a feel for what's brought you along this afternoon. Um, so who's kind of involved in church planting, um, either as a church plant or part of a team in a church plant? Okay, great. So that's, that's a fair few of you. Um, and, and if you're not, are you kind of considering church planting? Who's kind of thinking you might be getting involved in, in a church plant or, or doing... Hiya, have a seat. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, so... People in that category and and then the others who are looking to send out church planters will be part of a church that's seeing people go out? yes, we've got a few people like that okay, great, thank you um i'm I'm seeing our our sort of oh Ah, yeah, do you come in I'm afraid there's two seats at the front, and I think <laughs> you know, it? even the floor space the floor has been has right. been occupied, yeah, jeez, in preference jeez, to that thank you um, <laughs> so So in terms of of keeping going, um, there's keeping going in church planting, but I thought actually more significant for all of us and essential and integral to that is keeping going as a Christian. Um, So that's really where we're going to be kind of fitting this afternoon. So it's it's keeping going in Christ, keeping going as a follower of Jesus, Um, but with that that idea that a lot of us are involved in church planting and that has particular pressures and strains um, and difficulties that come so uh, I was thinking about what what kinds of things either from personal experience or those you know um, or, or or what you dread um, what what is there that stops us keeping going as a Christian or a church planter? and maybe um, church your neighbor or groups of three just Two minutes, what, what kind of things are there that could derail uh, either your faith or your calling as a church planter? Um, you don't have to say whether these are things you're currently experiencing or whether it's some wild idea that you just think might happen at some point. Um, so, so yeah, two or three minutes and we'll just do a bit of feedback so I can get an idea of the sorts of things you'd like us to address this afternoon. Go for it. I'm just gonna draw your um, conversation to a close. Um, I'm sorry, I'm probably cutting into some, some good and useful conversations, but so let's get an idea. So, so what sorts of things are there that, that could get in the way of you keeping going as a Christian, as a church planter? I'm just going to scribble some down. So who'd like to go first? Marriage problems. Marriage problems. Great. Thank you. Yup. Anything else? Fear of what people think. Fear of what people think. Yup. Great. Thank you. Reputation. Okay, so reputational attack, yep, from outside. Sense of failure if the church isn't growing. Yep, sense of failure. Resistance from church members. Criticism from within. Resistance from church members, criticism from within. Sort of similar, isn't it? Yep. Within the church plant or within the church that's sending the church plant? I guess it could be either, couldn't it? Yeah. Yep. General sense of apathy, sort of a bit of laziness. Yep. And that can actually be from from yourself or from others. They they can both occur, can't they? Yeah. Yep. Unrepentant sin. Yep. Wrong expectations, frustration, disappointment. Yep. Wanting comfort. Wanting comfort. Yep. Actually doing too much, so you're actually drained. you drain. Just get exhausted, weary. Um, is the sense I sometimes feel. You feel weary, yeah, weary, drained. Great. Thank you. It's quite a good list. Um, Great, thank you. We'll try to. We'll try to address. We won't address all these specifically, but we'll try to pull in on some of those. Um, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the the struggles I'd had, and um, I'll give a little bit of brief pot of history. I've been. Involved in church planting for 10 years now. Um, planted a church in Manchester. A group of seven of us started a church that's now Grace Church Manchester. Um, and then five years ago, moved to Norfolk. A group of 12 of us started a church called uh, Broad Grace in North Norfolk. Um, and those two, those two experiences have been quite different. A lot of my struggles have come in the last five years. Um, so interestingly, I didn't. I just knew a lot more In my late 20s than I did in my mid 30s. Um, (laughs) I knew everything then and I've somehow forgotten it all um, and nothing is as certain as it used to be. Um, (laughs) Maybe it'll change. Um, But but I think as well the church line in Norfolk, uh, in Manchester we just grew quickly. Um, I think it was a big city, there was a lack of of gospel teaching churches and a number of people moved into the city, uh, Christians who were looking for a church and and joined us. Um, so we started with a core team of seven, and we were up to about 20 by, we started in September by Christmas. So, so suddenly you've got a church that kind of feels like it makes sense as a church, rather than as a slightly large family. Um, and, and in Norfolk, it's just been a whole lot slower, we just didn't have that. Now, interestingly, I think kingdom growth has been about the same in the two when I look back, but it threw up all sorts of things in me. Um, a lot of pride issues. That you know, I, I'm a successful church planter. I'm a multiple church planter. Um, I'm one of the first members of Act Twenty Nine Western Europe back then. It wasn't even Act Twenty Nine Europe. And and just this kind of thing of what am I doing? I, the church in Manchester. I should just have stayed. Um, <laughs> you know, then then I'd matter, um, which is which is scary. So so there's issues um, I sort of identified that the numbers, a sense of preaching for your life every Sunday like if I don't do a good job they won't stay and then I'll be preaching to my wife next week um, and maybe she'll leave um, <laughs> find a better church with a better preacher um, so a sort of sense of you know it, it, you've got to kind of and that can become desperate someone turns up and you, you have a sort of desperate desire that they join the church um, we got a kind of I remember going to one church one time a small struggling rural church and we were there the first week, first thing someone said to us, they offered us a position in the church, on the church (laughs) council, before they worked out whether we were Christians or what our names were, Um, and I I kind of get that um, that, that now. Um, Money has been a worry, um, whether I'll be paid, whether the church, um, the church in Manchester uh, got out of the red a couple of years after I left. Um, Our last elders meeting in Norfolk, our monthly deficit has reduced to £70 a month, and and that's the, most, that's the first time we've been in a position where it looks like, month on month, I'll be paid for the last 10 years. Um, it's actually not been a massive worry. But for much of that, the first bit, we didn't have any children. It's much easier. We don't have a family to support, um, to not know where the money's coming from. Um, demands, pressure. There is so much to do. And at the beginning, you can feel like you're the only one doing it. Um, you can kind of feel like you're holding everything together with both hands. And and you just, you know, you're kind of desperately trying to sort out a, a, a messy situation in someone's life and give them wisdom. You're trying to fold the lotus sheet for Sunday. You're trying to sort out the songs. You've got an issue with the venue and it might not be available. And, and you just kind of, you're doing all this stuff. And, and then, then you think, I really ought to at some point pray and prepare a sermon um, <laughs> or, or, you know, whatever it is. And, and there's that, that sense that it's, there's just so much to do. And that's not by any means. Um, limited to to the lead planter. You know, if, you, if you're if you part of a, a core team in a church plant, there's just few people. You're committed, you're keen, but boy, is there a lot to do. And you don't want to see your pastor exhausted, so you want to be taking um, the load off his shoulders. And, and it can just feel like week on week, unpacking the kit, setting up the room, clearing up after the pub and wiping down the tables or whatever it is. I'm trying to sort out, I remember we used to, at one point have a children's group meeting in a bar, and you're kind of trying to make sure there's no broken glass on the floor before the children's group moves in, and that kind of thing. And it's different in different situations, but it it can feel hard work. Um, You get messy pastoral situations, and you've not got maybe the the resources, the wisdom in your church to to pull around them. Um, We've had that, and I felt like I'm walking into situations where I just don't have a clue and I just think, I just hope I don't make it worse. Um, and I've no idea how to make it better. Um, so you get, get that. You can feel let down and betrayed. Um, people who said that, they, people who committed leave after a couple of months. Um, people you hoped would be an elder um, go back to the sending church because the kids' work was better. Um, people who, who said they'd give don't. People said they pray, um, asked to be taken off the prayer letter list a few weeks later. And, and there's all sorts of ways you can feel let down and, and that it's, it's hard and that no one else is, is shouldering the load with you. Um, and, and then there's, there's suffering. Illness can come in, illness in your family, um, just the hard work of, of raising children um, and, and the tiredness that brings. Uh, th- there's all sorts of, of just normal life suffering that hits everyone. That when you're, you're busy and tired anyway, can sometimes feel like it's the straw that, that breaks the camel's back. Um, and, and, and there's, there's others, that, those are the ones I've experienced. There's others you've put in. Um, reputational attack. People outside. We actually, yeah, we had that in Manchester before the church was planted. We had quite a sustained attack from a, a, a discussion forum on a website um, criticizing this new church um, and quoting various people who were quite in favour of what we were doing as being very negative towards what we were doing um, locally, which was which was hard and caused us problems. Um, and and then there's the sort of internal pressures. Those are all things that come from outside. And, and then there's the things that come from inside. Um, and, and I think these actually are, are more dangerous in some ways. Um, doubt. You can, you can doubt. Uh, I've had three, three sort of types of doubt, I think, in the last few years as a church planter. Um, one, and my sense has been very brief. I doubted the truth of Christ. Mm. Um, Felicity says, my wife says, I really shouldn't mention this too much because for some people, um, godly people, this is an ongoing battle. For me, it was kind of like a three-hour doubt <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I usually don't doubt Christ at all. You know, that he, I, I just, I think partly temperamentally, partly spiritual gift, um, I, I don't. But in his grace, he gave me an experience of what that was like. And I just lay in bed and wait one night. It was a bit longer than three hours because it was through the night. I, I dropped off probably about three or four o'clock eventually. I'm just not sure God's real. I think everything, and I just thought if everything, it felt like everything had gone. Um, and I, I know I have godly friends who are elders in churches who battle that on a sort of weekly basis. I don't think it is a, a lack of faith in the Bible's understanding, but it was, it was horrible, um, and and I, I did not enjoy it. Um, more common for me is, is self-doubt. Um, so, so doubting God's calling, am I just a, a, a complete bag of ego to think that I am called and equipped and gifted to plant a church? Um, and a couple of years back we were really struggling to get any kind of momentum, it just felt like week on week it was tiring and exhausting, um, I felt weary and, and despondent um, and I, I just thought, I don't think I'm called to this. I think I've got it wrong. Um, I don't even know if I was called to it in Manchester, but I'm certainly not called to it in Norfolk. And I think I should probably jack it in. Uh, and, and just realised, well, Christ hasn't sent anyone else. When when the line of people wanting to plant a church in Norfolk is long, I can get to the back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the minute, the line is, is, is not very long. Um, and And actually if Christ doesn't send someone else, I'm not relieved my post. Um, that's the nature of calling when you are somewhere. Um, and, and that was helpful. And actually, I just thought, right, so. But the, the darker side of that was that it, it's Jeremiah's prayer. You deceived me. You called me to a ministry I cannot do. You deceived me. And I, I, I read those sections because I felt that in my heart, that I doubted not the existence of the Lord, but the kindness of the Lord. Um, and, and that was corrosive. Because if your God is sovereign and not kind, that is a terrifying chasm to look into. Didn't, I never doubted his sovereign rule over, over all things, in that sense. I thought I might have got my calling wrong. But I thought, well, maybe I am called. I'm just not equipped. And there's something going on. And, and, and that, was, that was very hard. Um, other, other internal issues, um, there's, there's the kind of temptations of the flesh, um, lust, pornography, alcohol, gluttony, um, the sort of less vicious ones, like hobbies, stamp collecting. Um, you know, and <laughs> um, that wasn't a particular temptation <laughs> of mine. <laughs> but <laughs> but there, are, there are pastors whose delight at the weekend is connected with a football team on a Saturday afternoon, not preaching on a Sunday. You, know, you, you can make um, hobbies are great. Uh, they're a great rest and, and a blessing from the Lord. They're a great uh, opportunity to share the gospel. They can become your delight. Um, you see that, don't you? And, and when, when Christ feels, oh, maybe he's not kind, well, what is? Maybe, maybe football is kinder. Uh, maybe racing cars are kinder. Maybe um, magazines and TV and... You, know, you can find yourself like really caring um, what's going to happen in the next episode of whatever. Because actually, it's easier to live vicariously through Game of Thrones, or whatever it is, than it is to, to live in Christ's world. Um, fear of man, that's massive in, in all sorts of ways. Um, you just want someone to tell you you're good at what you do. Uh, I don't know if Steve Timmis preached on it um, a couple of years back at this conference. Not on it, but he mentioned it in a sermon. Um, C.S. Lewis's essay on the inner circle. Um, basically, C.S. Lewis says there's a, every organization has a kind of group of people who matter, who belong. And he gives this great example that resonated with me. He said, it is a te- I can't remember the exact words. It's a terrible bore to have to give up your Saturday afternoons to go and work with old Smithy What's His Name on the plan. But how much worse not to be asked when others are. And, and that sense of you want... And, and pride works in different ways. I remember talking about this with a friend of mine who basically said, well, I know I'm amazing. And it's just weird when other people don't get it. Um, <laughs> you know, there's weird people around. And, and pride can work like that. You, you see that, don't you? People who just know they are the Lord's gift to the church. Um, here I am, Lord. Send moi. <laughs> um, and, and there's that, that sense of for me it doesn't work like that I want people to tell me I matter that I'm part of the club that I am a good preacher that I'm a good church planter that I'm a good pastor that I'm a good husband that I'm a good father that I'm a good friend I want people to affirm me and, and partly we are built like that made like that we're, we're made to find who we are in the loving affirmation of a father um, who who adopts us as his children. Um, We are are drawn into the family of the Trinity, and and that is the circle we are included in. But it's so easy to look for that outside. I want the other elders to pat me on the back after I've preached. I want to be be asked to do a breakout session at a conference. I, I want to be. Respected, I want people who I respect to tell me that I matter and that I'm one of them. And, and, and that is a really um, nasty sin. And, and that, that sort of fear of men, it, it comes in different ways, um, but it's, it's there. And that is quite closely connected with uh, putting who you are in the success of your church plant. And you know, if you've been in Acts 29 circles any time, we talk about this quite a lot because it is a common, it's common to pastors, but it's more dangerous to church planters because if you're a pastor, you can always blame the last guy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, ah, you you get it, you know, how's how's your church going, brother? Well, you know, I'm really encouraged because um, when I I came to the, the church, there were 80 of us and now there's 50. Um, there, there was a lot of dead wood that needed to be got rid of. The last guy he'd preach what their itching ears wanted to hear, and the gospel is is um, dividing the the wheat from the tares. Um, and and you could do it if you're if you're a church planter, and you say, how is it going? Well, we started with a core team of 30, and now we're down to eight, um, <laughs> and and it, it's all my fault because there is no last guy. Um, <laughs> it, it, and in that sense, it. It, it can just become very blunt that who I am is the number of people on the membership list or the number of people there on a Sunday. Um, and and in some senses, a church plan exists to plant a church, to reach the lost in an area. And it is so easy to, to know who I am by the size of the church um, and by thinking of myself as a success. And the idea of being a failure um, is is horrendous. Um, The idea of, I I, I wondered a couple of years ago whether after in six months time the church died, whether I would come to the conference or not. Because could you come to a conference on church planting when you've shut down the bank account and ripped up the nice logo and closed the website and said to the core team, I think go back to the sending church? You know, and, and it, we weren't on the brink of that like some guys have been, but it felt like that was as likely an outcome in the next six months as continued existence, and and I was I think far more terrified, to my shame, far more terrified of what guys here would think than of whether I've been faithful to Christ or not. Um, that is a, a scary place to be. And. This, this isn't entirely true, but I want to make a generalization. I think that the things that stop us keeping going are more the internal temptations and sins than the external circumstances. Because the problem with the external circumstances is, is what they do to us. Um, so when, when the numbers are, are low, then it, significance is connected with the numbers. Um, when there's no money, it's only a problem if our security is in our pay, not in our God. Um, it, it, do you see what I mean? Of course, it's going to be a, a bit of a worry whatever, but we're meant to cast our burdens onto Christ. Um, if we are weary because of the demands and pressures from outside, well, Christ does not demand we do them all. You know, come to me you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke my my yoke is easy and my burden is light if we are feeling that we are have too many demands on us more than we can meet then we are putting demands on ourselves that christ is not and and we we serve the church for his sake we are servants of the church because christ is our master not the church so if we if we're doing what if it's the church putting the demands on us that's still our sin to take them because, because the church isn't our boss. We serve the church, but Christ is our master. And he will not ask of us more than, than is a, a blessing for us to do. So either our attitude is wrong or we're doing too much. We're doing stuff he doesn't want us to do. Um, and, and I think that is a, a massive problem because what we're trying to do is we're trying to build our own kingdom. We're not trying to let him build his. And so, of course, if it's my kingdom, I'm going to work with every ounce of my being. Um, if it's his, I might pray. Um, <laughs> I might stop. I might read the scripture. Um, and and I think that, that the problem is not the external circumstances. The problem is we are, we are under assault from, from Satan, the flesh, the world, and the devil will, will be attacking us. And the question is what we do with that. Um, what do we do as we, as we see, as we see our, ourselves turning from Christ to fix our eyes on the problems? like Peter isn't it when he when he walks across the waves um, with his eyes on Christ then that's fine when he looks at the wind blowing down across the sea and, and looks at the waves he sinks um, it's not a complex example is it that Jesus gave us um, uh, but what does Jesus do Peter look at me no. reach out his hand and takes him and, and that's, that's why none of this is going to win. None of, none of the, the worst pain in our churches is going to win. Um, it's why the, the reputational attacks from outsiders and the, um, the, the attacks from inside, the criticisms, and the, the kind of, why can't we do this? Why are we doing this, Pastor? It's why those won't destroy our spirit. It's why when your pastor asks you just to, to do another thing on the rotor and you feel you're already overloaded, why that burden is not going to sink you. Because our God is a God who doesn't let us go. Um, Christ has us um, much more firmly than, than we have him. Um, I remember hearing a great illustration that I've kind of hung on to of this. If, you, if you're crossing a road a little child, you're holding their hands, maybe a four-year-old, and you see a lorry come around the corner, You instinctively tighten your grip and pull them out of the way, don't you? And it is irrelevant whether they grip back or not because you've got them, and you're strong enough to pull them out of the way. And as a child learns to trust you, they grip back. If they feel your hand grip tighter, they grip back, which we do with our Heavenly Father. But it's never our grip that holds us. And and that's, that's the way out. That's how we keep going, and in that sense, We need to stop worrying about keeping going as a church planter or keeping going as a core team member because that's just not that important. What matters is that we keep going with Christ. We keep going as a a functional, real disciple of Jesus day by day. And if we keep going with Christ, then if it's right that we keep going as a church planter, we will. But if that was of us and not of him, then why would we want to? Um, so, so in that sense, I think our, our danger is that, that spiritual attack, that satanic attack, that undermining, that that leads us, that, that sense of being weary, being burdened, that makes you bitter. That means that when, um, when someone comes to you with a, a messy situation in their life that they have created through their own sin and wants you to pass to them in it, you are, you are bitter towards them because they are taking up your time and you are busy. Um, It means that when your children are playing up on Friday night and not doing their teeth and smearing toothpaste on your shirt. And I've been furious with my toddlers for being toddlers. I remember one time I, I barely controlled myself from just yelling as loud as I could to terrify them. And they were being a bit naughty, but not, not particularly. And I was just, I was full of fury. And after I put them to bed, I thought, what is that about? And, and I knew it was because I'd worked my socks off all week. And Jesus owed me Friday evening. And they were, they were messing it up. I had a beer in the fridge. I had a pizza. I had a bad movie. And, <laughs> and, and I had earned it. <laughs> I'd earned it from the one who bled for me. You know. I, Comes in, you get um, there's a a bit of a joke, you know. Your husband's a church planter. What's he like? Oh, grumpy and fat. Um, (laughs) You know, and and, you know that's that's kind of how it. You know, you get grumpy, and you get kind of despondent, and and angry. And I found the last few years I've been angry in ways I didn't know I could be, Um, and it's been to do with my my identity and my pride being caught up in being a church planter um, and that being under attack. And I wanted us to, so I keep looking at this because my watch broke and I don't know what time it is. I want us to just, um, let's stop there. Um, What I'm basically planning to do is look at a a couple of things that I think will help us to keep our identity in Christ and our eyes on Christ um, as we go forward. Uh, because I, I, as I say, my, my kind of premise is that our biggest issue is not the external factors but our, our, our hearts and our sin and our flesh. Um, does that sound okay? Or are you thinking, no, I've got this external issue that is massive and I, I really need us to deal with that because I want to serve you as best I can. So, anyone want to raise a question or bring something up or suggest we go in a different direction for the rest of our time? Great, okay. Um, what I'd like you to do is, um, if, if you are in, let's see, how many rows have we got? One, two, three, four. If you're in the, the back two rows or on the floor, um, I would like you to turn to Hosea chapter three um, you might want to read the first bit of Hosea 1 to give you context. So the back two rows are on the floor, you're in Hosea chapter 3. Uh, look at Hosea chapter 1 for context. And, and the question is, how does this encourage me to find my identity elsewhere than in my, my ministry? And think widely about that. If you're a church planter, think about that. If you're part of a core team, that's important to you. Maybe you're an intern. Maybe you're the the wife of a church plant or the child of a church planter, maybe you're planning to send church planters out. But wherever you're, you're planning to find your identity, or wherever, wherever the devil is telling you your identity lies, your self lies, your existence lies, your hope lies, your satisfaction lies, your joy lies, and your love lies, wherever it lies that isn't Christ, um, how will Hosea chapter three reorient you? If you're in the front two rows, I want you to do the same with, um, Let's go for, for Romans um, chapter 8. It was kind of inevitable, wasn't it? Um, Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 12 through to 17. So it's Hosea 3, if you're in the back two rows, Romans 8, verses 12 through to 17. How, is you, how, do these, how does this section reorient your identity? I'll give you sort of five minutes. Do it in, in little groups as well, kind of two, three, four, whatever fits best. Um so front two rows, Romans eight ch- verses twelve through seventeen, back two rows and floor, Hosea chapter three. Great, go for it. just say how does that reorientate our identity um away from being in, in church planting or whatever it might be? Um where 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 is it reorienting it to, I guess is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I actually i'm going to have to If you just be drawing conversations to a close. I'm sorry, you never get enough time in these to have proper discussion, do you? You just kind of get started. And if you're there, you're probably thinking, why does he just let us finish? This is much better than what he's saying. Um, I'll just read Hosea 3. Um, The context is that Hosea, the prophet of the Lord, has under the Lord's command married an unfaithful wife, Gomer. Um, So Hosea chapter 3 and the Lord said to me go again love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a home and a lethek of barley and I said to her you must dwell as mine for many days you shall not play the whore or belong to another man so will I also be to you. For the children of israel shall dwell many days without king or prince without sacrifice or pillar without ephod or household gods afterwards the children of israel shall return and seek the lord their god and david their king and they shall come in fear to the lord and to his goodness in the latter days so if you were sitting towards the back how does that reorient our identity It isn't it's it, a yeah. A successful church plan does not love you and can do nothing for you, you know, a church plan in Norfolk is not going to die for you or screw you up with you broke, like it can yeah. do nothing for you yeah. um, and it can do nothing for me when I'm serious. Great, thank you. Yeah, it is, it is just that they turn to other gods and love the raisin cakes. <laughs> they love the retweets. Love, you know, they say to build your identity on. I was retweeted by yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, and and what's the alternative? Where else can you find your identity? It's not going to be the cakes of raisins. where Where does Hosea say?: Yeah. Yeah, it's a displacement in that sense, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So, so we are made to be loved, but we seek it elsewhere. Um, and it never satisfies a cake of raisins. So we see the Lord saying, come back to me as Father. Yeah, yeah. And, and this idea that, and what, what does this do to our, our churches as well? Because it's a terrible thing to make our, our church a cake of raisins, but, but what is it? What does this passage say our church actually is? I know you've got to do a bit of um, Old Testament, New Testament wiggling, but um, children, of, children of Israel, children of Israel and, and the bride of God. Um, it's, it's bride of Christ, bride of Israel language. So, so our, our church plant is not there for our identity. Our church plant is the church for which Christ died. Um, And and you've got this, this silly image of the cake of raisins. And then you've got this horrific image of the man of God, the prophet of God, walking through town to a pimp and paying over silver for his own wife, who has sold herself into that situation. And then you go, you didn't walk across town. You walked up a hill. And he didn't pay silver. He paid blood. And he went through hell. And he, he took our sin. And he brought us back. And, and we, are, we are the bride of Christ. Um, and our churches are, are his bride. And, and when we, we make our churches about us and us about them, we are we're getting in the middle of, of the marriage between Christ and his people. Um, and that's not somewhere you want to be. Um, <laughs> he, he loves his bride. Um, yeah. Okay, let's, um, there's a lot more we could say, but let's, let's turn forward to Romans chapter 8. Let me just read those verses for those of you who are in Hosea. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So those of you on the front two rows, how does this reorient our identity um, away from being in our successes and failures as, as ministers? Yeah. realise that he's not just bleeding dry, but he's doing it for his glory, but for water, goodness Yes. Yes. And that's really helpful. There's a couple of things you said there that were that were brilliantly helpful. Um, yeah, he's and I've forgotten the first one because the second one was so good. He's doing it for, <laughs> for his glory, but for our good. And and the glory of our God, there's there's different sorts of glory, and he has more than one. So he is the God who can um Okay, I think of it as Jonathan and David. Jonathan sees the Philistine camp, Um, he says to his armor bearer, um, let us go up. If they say, come up here, we'll take it as a sign from the Lord that we are to go up and take the battle to the Philistines. They go, the Philistines say, come up here. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up. Um, Jonathan slays, I think 20 of them um, with his bow and and his sword and and Saul and and the Israelite army see, and they go, someone started the battle. Jonathan's fighting, right, we go. And, and Jonathan's um, courage, uh, godly courage, inspires the army into battle. And, and our Lord has that kind of glory. Um, he, he leads us. He runs the race, and we fix our eyes on Him. We go right. We go where, where our captain is fighting. There we will fight. I'm um, actually think of it as Theodon glory. Um, end of. But second film, Battle of Helms Deep, the heroes ride out. If you don't know Lord of the Rings, ignore the next 30 seconds. Um, Eomer and the cavalry arrive, they're on top of the hill, and Aomer goes, Theoden, our king, fights alone. And the men charge down the hill because they want to fight alongside their king. Um, we want to fight alongside Christ and, and take the gospel to the nations as he leads us. Um, apart from the days when we don't, when we want to pull the duvet over our heads and, 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 and let someone else take the battle and, and actually he has a greater glory than Jonathan glory he has David's glory because David doesn't inspire the army to battle David says I'll take this Philistine giant who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God I've got a sling and I've got a stone <laughs> that says he's not going to do that And the army watch, and afterwards they feast on the plunder of the Philistines. And and Christ has that glory. Um, He says, you can't handle sin and death and Satan. So you stand back, and I will take them. And I will free you, and I will save you. And when I say it is finished, it is finished. And and there's that sense in which God's glory is is for our good, because his glory is to be the saviour before he's the leader and, and uh, the warrior. Um, that, was a, yeah, that wasn't what I was planning to say, but it was great. Um, and, and we are sons, that was the other thing he said. We are, we are sons and our God, and we, we end up thinking of him as our boss. And we need to earn his favour. We need to earn his rewards. We need to earn his blessing. If I work hard enough, he'll give me a big church and everyone will say, I'm a great church planter. And, and I will enjoy that sacred raisin cake for the five minutes that it tastes good. And, and he is not our boss. Or he is our father before he is our boss. It's, it's the mistake that the two brothers made in Luke 15. They both thought their dad wanted their service. Um, they made different mistakes as well. One involved more parties than the other. But they both thought their dad wanted their service. I will go back and I will ask my father to make him like one of my hard men. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it was at that point the father cut him off. And it's like he says, You don't get to make that call. I am not your boss, I am your father. Bring the robe. And we know which son gets the multicolored robe, don't we? Bring the robe. It's the robe for the favored son. Bring the ring. Bring the sandals for his feet. You don't get to decide whether you should be my employee. You are my son. My son who was dead is alive. Come, let us feast and be glad. That, that's Now, I'm sure the next day when the father said, son, I'm going up to harvest the north field, the son would have strapped on his boots and picked up his sickle but it's very different to work for your father than for your boss. Um, And and we are sons. And I think that these verses in Romans, if if they were not written in the Bible, they would seem blasphemous because of the connection Paul makes. Because he says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And, And he later says, children... Um, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, so it's not that he's using sons here to mean children, he's using it deliberately, and of course he doesn't mean anything about men or women. His point is what he, what he, what he means in implicitly um, back in verse 14, he says explicitly in verse 17, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So, the nature of our adoption as children of God is to be adopted as sons like Jesus. There is not a, there's not a difference in the love the Father has for us with the love he has for Jesus. Now, Christ is the eternal Son but he is no more loved than we are. When, when God the Father looks down at me now, at you now, he has the same love as when he looks sideways at the one seated at his right hand. That would be blasphemy if Paul hadn't written it inspired by the Spirit, wouldn't it? That, that we are that loved. And and we we need to work out ways of remembering this. Because if we remember this, then, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We see how Jesus deals with ministry failures and how He uses suffering. To bless and it is extreme and it is incredible um, I, I was asked to preach on this a few years ago as a just sort of one-off text for a Christian Union and it's been under my skin ever since um, and I'm almost scared of its implications um, so the backstory to this um, John chapter 21 is that Peter has denied Christ three times so Peter, the most uh, loyal, the closest of Christ's disciples, his closest friend, has, despite saying that he would die with Jesus, has three times denied that he even knows him. Um, And and it happened back in chapter, um, he promised it in chapter 13, if you want to check it out, he he did it in chapter 18. Um, So chapter 18, verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, this is John chapter 18, sorry, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you're not one of these man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Um, Just cut forward to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And we get to chapter 21. Peter has seen Christ risen from the dead. Chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter knows he has disqualified himself from ministry. On the eve of Christ's crucifixion, the the central point of the Bible, the central point of history, the central point of eternity, Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus. And he knows that he has disqualified himself. He's going back to fishing. He knows Christ. And I imagine he's, he's looking forward to a life of, of pulling an oar and hauling in nets, knowing that he is forgiven, and that one day he will see his friend again. And, and the others, I mean, they ran as well. They, they know they're in the same position. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they get in their boat. Um, I think Nathaniel at this point is thinking, flip, how am I going to make a living? <laughs> I was a student, um, and I've blown that. No rabbi's going to have me now. Um, maybe if I work hard today, Peter will take me on as a deckhand. Um, you know, you can see the kind of thought process. We're going with you. Um, Nathaniel going, what, what, this is slimy, Peter. This is a fish, Nathaniel. Um, <laughs> Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. This is a, an exact repeat of the miracle Jesus performed when he called the fishermen to, to be his apostles and to be fishers of men. And John gets it. We're being recommissioned. He, he still wants us. After all we did, after sleeping in the garden, after running from the cross, he, he wants us to fish for men again. And Peter, I, I take it, he just doesn't know what to do. And he throws himself into the sea. He is just so ashamed and cut. And he's going to see his friends reinstated as he slopes off somewhere. But that is not Christ's plan. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Um, You probably picked it up in chapter 18. There is one other mention of a charcoal fire in John's Gospel. Peter denied Jesus by a charcoal fire. And Jesus has laid a charcoal fire on the the seashore. And and Peter gets it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish. He says to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Peter gets it. Jesus hasn't forgotten the charcoal fire is for him. He is going to fish for men as well. So when Jesus says, bring some of the fish, Peter does. And, and you can't imagine his heart beginning to open up again as he realizes that Christ will still trust him with the mission to the world. That even after everything he's done, the forgiveness of Christ is, is so deep and so total that Peter will, will have the ministry he desired, will preach the gospel and see people saved, that Christ has not given up on him. And I guess, well, we don't need to guess, verse 20 tells us that the thought in his mind was, well, I wonder who leads now? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Um, Presumably, John's the next obvious candidate. Peter's blown it. It's going to be James or John, but John's the one Peter was, Jesus was particularly close to. Um, it's Peter, James, and John. They're the three closest. Interesting, isn't it? The first to die, the leader, and the last to die were the three that Jesus poured his particular time and love into. James needed a particular closeness to the Lord because he had to die first. Peter needed it to lead. John needed it to die last. Um, But, we've skipped ahead because we don't know Peter's going to lead. That was Peter's question, well who leads now? Because I never believed I could be an apostle again. I I surely can't be the head of the church anymore. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I take it he means these fishing things. What's it going to be, Simon? You fisherman or you apostle? What's it going to be? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter was grieved, but he he had to be grieved. He needed to know that when Jesus reinstated him as the head of the church, Jesus did so fully conscious of Peter's denials. He needed Peter to know that he felt the pain and the sin of each I do not know him. So that Peter would never doubt that Jesus had really meant to reinstate him. Jesus asks three times because Peter denied three times. And, and it hurt Peter to remember that. But the Lord only wounds to bind up. He wanted to bind love into those wounds to to show Peter that he knew what Peter had done he felt what Peter had done and his love for Peter was unchanged and his forgiveness was so total that Peter would lead the church that John would not preach to the crowd on the day of Pentecost because nothing had changed that is the forgiveness of God and we need to know this whether it's our sin like Peter's whether it's simply the the grinding down of life. We we have a God whose forgiveness goes that far. My my bitterness, my doubt of Christ's kindness has not disqualified me from ministry. Not because Christ has a low bar, but because his blood covers a multitude of sins. Because he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. That is why I can plant a church. It it was never about my goodness, my righteousness, my gifts, my skills, my preaching, my anything. It's always about him. And, And you think, could he have anything more for Peter? He's given him everything but Jesus hasn't finished. And it took me a bit of time to get this, um, and then the Spirit showed me. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, it's not the best way to motivate (laughs) a slightly discouraged preacher, is it? Uh, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. They will crucify you. But Jesus is giving Peter the desire of his heart. Lord, even if I should die for you, I will not deny you. He's saying to Peter, I will make you the man you longed to be, but were not. It's not that I will trust you with, with the beatings and the, the shoutings and the mobs, and, but, but I've learned that I can't trust you with the dying for me. It's okay, Peter, I won't test you that far again. No, he says, Peter, you will be crucified. And uh, this is entirely fanciful. I don't even have historical account on this. But my guess is there was a charcoal fire burning in the courtroom when they tried Peter. And my guess is that the judge asked him three times. And, And as they crucified him. Peter would have prayed his thanks to Jesus, that Jesus had given him the desire of his heart, that he was a man who would die for Christ. We follow a God who will crucify you out of kindness. And and when we get that, then then we, we sin, and we see the the extent of our forgiveness. I don't really know what to do with this. This is forgiveness beyond anything I can grasp, that Peter is still the leader of the apostles. And that is extraordinary. And and then that Jesus gives him the most extreme suffering as a blessing to show Peter what he has become in Christ. and, and it, it, I think there's a lot of praying and thinking to do on that. But, but as suffering comes into your heart, you, you want to be a man or woman who is faithful to Christ in all things. And, and there will be many things happening as, as your church plant falls apart, as your health falls apart, as your family falls apart, as your life falls apart. As you as you close the doors, as you shut down the website, or as you walk out of the doctor's surgery, as you stand at the coffin of the person you most dread that being the case with. You you want to be the man or woman who is faithful to Christ in that moment. And he will make you that person. There is no wasted suffering in in God's kingdom, and and even our sins, he will use to make us more who we delight, desire to be, and who he wants us to be. He will grow us up into the likeness of Christ. And neither our sin or the suffering that comes will prevent that, because he has us. He bought us with his blood. He united us to himself. He gave us his spirit. He brought us as children to his Father. That cannot be undone and and he will finish the good work that he begun Um, i'm going to pray gracious father we are awestruck by the loving kindness and forgiveness of your son i i am appalled that i doubted the kindness of christ and do when when i see it so beautifully here and in my life. Father please would you for all of us so fix our eyes on Christ day by day that that he is our all in all that we we spit out the raisin cakes for being such poor food when we feast on the bread of life himself and and that our our hearts are, are tuned to long For his appearing and his coming in glory when we will fall at his feet and and delight in his smile father please would you in our sufferings and our sin direct our gaze to christ may he take hold of us as we sink and draw us to himself once again and we pray this with such confidence because we know what he is like because he's like you. Thank you, Father. Amen.